All right, we are working on faith walkers, and we're starting a new character tonight. Finished Samson last time, and uh, decided to stay with another one of the judges. Gideon is our topic tonight. Uh, Going to take four weeks to cover Gideon, and I was thinking as we sung that last song, "The Battle Belongs to the Lord," we could. Sing that all four weeks, as far as I'm concerned, because that's pretty well the story of Gideon. Uh, the battle belongs to the Lord, and Gideon took a little while to get that concept, but he grew in faith as he went along. In fact, I've entitled this series on Gideon, From Coward to Conqueror. And he did start as a coward and finished as a conqueror. Uh, the story is found in Judges chapter 6, 7, and 8. We'll work through that in some detail over the four weeks. He is one of the heroes of faith mentioned in Hebrews 11, barely mentioned. Uh, He's one like Samson that uh, the writer of Hebrews said, I I really don't have time to tell you about Gideon. Uh, It's a good story. In fact, it's going to take me four weeks. So uh, the writer of Hebrews understood he didn't have room for that. He uh, probably is the one... The writer of Hebrews was talking about when he said his weakness was turned to strength and he became powerful in battle and he routed foreign armies because Gideon did all of those things. Before we get into the detail, the verse by verse study of this, I I think we got to have the big picture. So let me just tell you real quickly, if you want to try to follow along in six through eight, fine, but my guess is you won't be able to. Uh, I just want to give you the real overview, big picture, kind of third grade level story of who Gideon was and what he did. Uh, Obviously, he was one of the judges that we've been talking about with Samson, that the Israelite people would fall into Sin, they would mess up enough and forget God that God would let some foreign people come in. The Philistines bothered Samson. And when they finally realized how far off they were, they would cry to God for help and he would raise up a judge or a deliverer or a savior uh, to get them out of trouble or start to get them out of trouble. The judge before Gideon was Deborah. And Deborah did well, and at the end of her time, the Bible says there were 40 years of peace. But then the people slipped off the rails again and started doing evil, and God allowed seven years of Midianite oppression. And it was pretty bad oppression. We'll study it more tonight, but they made annual raids into the Israelite community, Uh, They would take their crops, take everything, burn everything up, uh, destroy stuff, and then wait a year until there were more crops, come back and do it again. Uh, For seven years that had been going on. So the Israelites had got where they hid in caves. They uh, found places in the mountains to hide. They were afraid, scared to death of the Midianites. And Gideon was one of the ones who was scared to death. Our story of him opens with him threshing wheat in a wine press. Uh, which we'll talk about tonight, but that's the last place you want to thresh wheat uh, unless you're afraid that somebody's going to come take it away from you and uh, take everything you have. So he was hiding out, and an angel of the Lord appears, sits down under Gideon's oak tree, and his first words are, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Gideon responded in kind of a strange way, and we'll talk about why tonight. 
But he said, if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? And that, that was first question. Second question, uh, where are all his wonders our fathers told us about? Uh, got us out of Egypt, so where is he? And his third question was, or his statement was, the Lord's abandoned us. Uh, he's put us in the hand of Midian. He wasn't buying this story that the Lord was with us. So the angel, or the Lord, perhaps, uh, most a lot of people believe it was the Lord himself appearing, but let's call him the angel. The angel responded to that with another strange thing. He said, go in the strength that you have and save Israel. I'm sending you. And Gideon then turned to himself and said, how can I save Israel? I can't do that. My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I'm the least in my family. I'm, I'm not up for that job. The Lord said, I'll, I will be with you, and you will strike down the Midianites. And Gideon said, eh, I don't think so. Give me a sign. I'm not quite buying this. Give me a sign of some sort. I'm not even sure, you know, who you are. So give me something to prove who you are. And the angel said, okay. And Gideon went in and got lunch and brought it out, some goat and some bread, and laid it out on the rock. And the angel took his staff and reached over and touched it. And it flamed up and disappeared. And the angel disappeared also. And Gideon had the good sense to say, well... I guess that qualifies as a divine sign. And at that point, he built an altar. He built an altar to Jehovah Shalom. Uh, God is peace. The Lord is peace. And that was just the beginning. He hadn't even got an assignment yet. Now the Lord comes back, the next sentence, and says, All right, here's your first assignment. Your first assignment, since your daddy and everybody else here have been worshiping Baal, I want you to tear down his altar. Tear down daddy's altar. Tear down the Asherah pole. Build an altar to me. Gideon was afraid to do that. He'd figured out that God was peace, but he was afraid to do what he was told. So he took ten men with him, and he did it at night. Instead of in the day, he didn't want anybody to see him, so he slipped around at night. He did the job. He was obedient. And the next morning, people were all upset. Uh, and they went to see Gideon's dad, and Gideon's dad stood up for him. He said, well, if you've got a problem with it, you ought to talk to Baal. You know, Baal's the one whose altar got torn down. And so the people thought about that a little while and said, yeah, that makes sense. So they had a newfound respect for Gideon. Now, bear in mind, this is a guy that was hiding in the wine press. Now they've got a respect for him, uh, and they make up a new name for him, and they begin to believe he's got some leadership ability. And Gideon believed it himself. So he went and blew the trumpet, called everybody to war. said, I've been called by the Lord to uh, get the army ready, and we're going to go whip the Midianites. So let's get ready. Well... A lot of people started to show up, and Gideon said, I'm not sure about this yet. So he had talked to the Lord, and he said, if you're really going to save Israel, if this is really going to work, 
I need a sign, and it was the fleece thing, and we'll talk about that in a couple of weeks. I'll put a piece of fleece out tonight, and in the morning, if it's wet and the ground is dry, I'll know you're giving me a sign. And God did it for him. The next night, he said, now, don't get upset, but I need one more sign. I'm going to put the fleece out again, this time do it backwards. If the fleece is dry and everything else is wet, then I'll buy the story. God did it for him. Well, people were coming this whole time, and finally there were 32,000 Israelites there ready to go to war. And that sounds pretty good until you understand that the Midianites had 135,000. Okay? So Gideon probably was a little shaky at this point. We're not told how he felt, uh, but I imagine he was a little shaky with just 32 against 135. But God tells him something really strange. He said, you got too many, Gideon. 32,000 is way too many. If you go win with 32,000, these Israelites will think they did it. They'll think they've got the strength. So we've got to get rid of some of them. So you go out to them and tell them that anybody that's afraid can just go on home. Well, there were 22,000 afraid. 22,000 went home. Had 10,000 left. Gideon's probably a little shaky again. We're not told, but that was what we were down to. And God said, no, nah, too many. This won't work. We go with 10,000, they'll still think that they did something big. they got to know I did it. So let's give them a test, lead them down, let them have some drinks of water. We'll explain that later in detail. But they got their drinks, and some of them drank one way, and some of them drank another way. And God said, send all those home. And that happened to be 9,700 went home. We're down to 300 against 135,000. Okay. And the night before the battle, now, now notice this, we'll make a point of it, but Gideon wasn't asking for a sign this time. Gideon's getting a little braver, quite a bit braver, but God knew he needed a little reassurance. So he said, Gideon, if you're afraid, he said, go down to their camp, sneak down to their camp and listen, and I'll give you a sign. So he went down and listened. He heard the Midianites talking about a dream one of them had had. And he said, surely that means the sword of God and of Gideon is coming to conquer us. And Gideon said, all right, we're ready now. Divided the 300 people up into three groups of 100 each. Uh, gave them what every good army needs, a trumpet and a pitcher. Uh, 300 trumpets and 300 pitchers. And said, now we're ready to go to war. Marched them in, told them we're all going to blow our trumpets at one time. Uh, as soon as you blow the trumpet, then you're going to break your pitcher. The pitcher's got your torch inside it. And right after the trumpet blast, all of a sudden there's going to be lights everywhere. And that's the battle plan. The men followed it for some reason. They, <laughs> they followed this battle plan. And God did the rest. Uh, when the Midianites saw the, heard the noise and saw the lights, uh, they went crazy and started attacking each other and killed a lot of them. The rest of them ran away. Uh, Gideon and his men chased them, uh, killed Oreb and Zeb, two of their leaders, chased Zeba and Zalmuna on a little bit further. Uh, there were only 15,000 left. So these 300 had killed 120,000 so far. They caught the last 15,000 and took care of them. Uh, Gideon was a hero. The people wanted him to rule the country. And he did collect some gold from them and made an ephod or a breastplate that symbolized his civil power. And they had 40 years of peace because of Gideon's 
leadership. All right, that's who we're dealing with. Now, if you just want to know the story of Gideon, uh, you could have read the three chapters about that fast and learned all the details yourself. But what Hebrews says about Gideon is that his weakness was turned to strength. So my question is, why are we spending four weeks on this? My question is, is anybody weak in here? Anybody in their faith walk feel a little weak sometimes? And you say, well, I'm not as weak as Gideon was. Well, that's all right, wherever you are. If you're a little bit weak, there might be some lessons in here. In fact, I think there are some lessons in here for our faith walk because none of us are as strong as we want to be. All of us are weak to some degree. And if Gideon went from coward to conqueror, maybe we can learn something from him. That's our goal in the next four weeks. Let's start with some detailed study. The situation is described at the very end of Judges 5 and in the first six verses of chapter 6. And I put the key verses on the handout for you. Uh, the first one is, up in chapter 5, the land had peace for 40 years. After Deborah, things got peaceful. No marauders were coming from anywhere else. Things were going well in Israel. And then chapter 6 says, then the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. For seven years he gave them into the hands of the Midianites. And it got so bad that they finally cracked and called for Jehovah. Same pattern they always follow, but it finally happened. And in those verses it tells how they were hiding in the mountains and the caves and just lived in constant fear that they were going to be attacked. Now, the call to Gideon starts in chapter 6, verse 11, and we've broken it down into the, the key verses, I think, and we'll talk about each one a little bit. Verse 11 says, The angel of the Lord came where Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press to keep it from the Midianites. Now, like I said earlier, that's the last place you want to thresh wheat. Uh, we don't thresh wheat in the, the old style anymore, but you want to be up on somewhere flat and somewhere where a little wind blows. Maybe why Kansas is the wheat state, but if you got, <laughs> that's a good place to thresh wheat. Uh, and back in those days, you just beat the wheat on the ground or a rock or something, and the current of the wheat grains fall out and the chaff blows away. Well, Gideon was doing that down in a depression or maybe a pit almost of where they stomped out grapes down below wind level, down hidden where nobody could see him perhaps. And that wasn't a good place to thresh wheat, but that's how scared he was. That's how afraid he was of the Midianites. Uh, that's why they were hiding in the mountains and living in caves. Uh, this is a condition of total 24-7 fear. Verse 12 says, when the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Okay. Now, the standard way to tell this story is that Gideon didn't believe that he was a mighty warrior. Okay. But that indicates some level of confidence. This is so far out of Gideon's radar that he doesn't even think the angel's talking about him. I don't think. 
I think what he heard was, the angel said, you are a mighty warrior. The Lord is with you. And all Gideon heard was, the Lord is with us. I think he took it as a corporate thing, the, the country. The Lord's with Israel. I don't even think he heard the mighty warrior thing. Uh, I don't think it registered because of the way he answered. And the way he answered was, um, verse, uh, what verse are we in here? Uh, verse 13. See, Gideon says, but sir, if the Lord is with us, if he'd have focused on the other part, he would say, hold it now. If I'm a mighty warrior, <laughs> why am I doing this or what am I going to do? But he didn't. He focused on the first part and said, sir, if the Lord's with us, why has all this happened to us? Where are all his wonders that our fathers told us about when they said, did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and put us into the hand of Midian. Okay. Think about how much faith that was. Think about how much confidence he had in God. Now, confidence in himself is another problem. We'll get there in just a minute. But God appeared to him, or the angel appeared to him, and saw something in him that he didn't see. Sometimes we get asked or challenged or offered an opportunity to do something, and we have the same kind of response. No faith in God, no faith in ourselves. I can't do that. After he asked the angel those questions, analyze how much faith he had. Where would you score it on zero to a hundred? Pretty close to zero. And what were what were his points? You know, if the Lord's with us, why is all this happening? Our fathers told us all these big stories about God delivering. He isn't delivering. He's given up on us. He's not around. He's not present. He just gave us to the Midianites. That was his response. He questioned God's presence. I mean, that's a pretty low level of faith. Uh, you may be, you may have raised your hand when you, I asked if anybody was weak. You, you probably question, why is not God not doing anything? But it's a whole other thing to say, he's not even here. Well, we're low level of faith here. Okay. What was Gideon doing here? And we're going to try to draw most of our conclusions the last week, but I think this is an important one. Gideon had seen seven years of this. I don't know exactly how old Gideon was, but he had seen some good times. He'd seen times of peace. Now, how much they attributed that to Jehovah, I don't know. Because we're not told that. But he had seen some good times. And now he had seen seven years of, imp of oppression. And his conclusion was, God's not here. Okay, What I wrote down was, should we look at truth through circumstances or vice versa? Okay? I think this is a key point. What Gideon was doing 
is there's a truth out there that God exists, that God got us out of Egypt, that God's in control, that Jehovah runs things. That's the truth. What Gideon did was he took a prism or he took his glasses of circumstances and looked at the truth and said, that must not be true. Because of what I see happening, because of our circumstances, the truth can't be true. Okay? Get that concept? The vice versa would be to look at the circumstances and say, man, those circumstances, this is a mess. You know, we're hiding in caves. (laughs) I'm threshing wheat in a wine press. They come scare us every year, just beat the fool out of us. That's the circumstances. And what the other way of looking at it is put on the truth glasses and look at the circumstances and say, God's right here. That's two very different things. And I think it's key to faith walking. Because what is faith? Is it things we can see? No, it's dealing with the unseen. Faith is all about seeing what you can't see. So when Gideon looked at the truth through circumstances, he concluded the truth is not true. God can't be here. Now, I don't know how memorable that question is or that little picture, but try it sometime if you remember it. When you start saying, God just isn't working in this. I'm questioning God's presence. I don't have any faith that he's working in this. Are you looking at circumstances through truth or looking at truth through circumstances? One's the right way, one's the wrong way. Gideon was looking at the truth through his circumstances and made the wrong conclusions. You'll make the wrong conclusion every time. You look through circumstances, and you take any story in the Bible of the faith walkers and see what they were doing. When the one pops in my head, when the people got to the Red Sea, what did they do? There's a sea right there. We can't get through that. There's Pharaoh coming back there. We are in trouble. What did Moses look at? He looked at the truth that God was with them. And God said, I'm going to get you out of every mess you get in. Okay? One looked through one prism and one looked through the other. Okay. Uh, verse 14. After all these questions, and there's probably we could spend a lesson or two just talking about God's response through the angel and how he dealt with all these arguments. Uh, he basically just kind of ignored them. He just went on about his business. And after Gideon raised all these questions and complaints and disbelief, verse 14, the Lord turned to him and said, Go in the strength you have. That's a big old verse there. That's some stuff in that one. Uh, Go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? Most important word in that verse, I. I am sending you. I am is sending you. Jehovah is sending you. So what you got to do 
is go in the strength you have. That's the second most important thing in there. Is what strength do you have? Well, not very much. It doesn't matter. I'm sending you. So go in the strength you have. The real Gideon comes out now. Okay. We've got the faithless Gideon. That he's looking at truth through circumstances. The, the angels reassured him here that he doesn't have to have much strength because it's not about him. It's about I am. And he gets all done with all that. And verse 15, the real Gideon says, uh, pardon me, my Lord, but how can I save Israel? Did Gideon have a little hearing problem or a little faith problem? He said, how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I'm the least in my family. Okay? Here, he probably did the same thing he did before, but let's picture it this way, that he focused on the wrong thing. What did the angel tell him? You're not important to this. If you've got a little strength, we're going to be all right. Because I am sending you. And what did Gideon do? He said, I can't do this. I can't do this. My, my family's not powerful. I'm the least in my family. Uh, no, this isn't going to work. He ignored I am and went straight to me. You ever know anybody that does that? <laughs> Yeah, a lot of people ignore the I am and go straight to me. Serious problem. That's what Gideon had. He didn't have any faith. He didn't, he was, in fact, he was kind of bitter about God not taking care of them, I think. He was scared to death, and he had absolutely no self-confidence. I can't do this one. Well, I mean, if you'd asked him, you'd have said, what did the angel ask you to do? Well, really not much. He just said, go in the strength I have. But he took all of that and blew it clear out of portion and said, I can't do this. I am absolutely impossible. No way. Ignored the I am. All right. So God's a patient God. Verse 16, the Lord answered, I will be with you. The Lord says, pardon me, boy. It's not about you. I will be with you. And you will strike down all the Midianites, leaving none alive. There's a mind bender. There's 135,000 of them camped over the hill. God said, we're going to do this. Then we're going to take them all out. Gideon, as hard as that was to believe... He said, well, he's starting to believe a little maybe here. He said, okay, if I found favor in your eyes, give me a sign that it's really you talking to me. Okay, So the arguments kind of wore him out, I guess, and he finally thought, hold it now. That makes sense if God is God and if God's talking to me, but how do I know it's really him talking? So I need a little sign. So show me. Well, the angel did. He burned up the food and blew fire all over the, the rock and disappeared in the middle of it. And pretty good trick and made a believer out of Gideon. 
He said, okay. Uh, he realized, verse 22, he realized that it was the angel of the Lord. Then he has another problem. Gideon's got a lot of problems, by the way. <clears throat> Gideon had another problem. He said, if that's the, really the angel of the Lord, if I've seen him face to face, I'm toast. I'm going to die. You, know, you don't see the Lord face to face and live through it. And plus, I was questioning the whole time. Maybe a little bit of that came in. Maybe he started remembering how I was talking to him. But he says, I'm done. Yeah, I'm going to die. And the Lord comes back, the patient, loving God comes back and says, peace. Don't be afraid. You're not going to die. So Gideon built an altar to the Lord. He called it, the Lord is peace, or Jehovah Shalom in Hebrew. To this day it stands. Okay, Peace. That's a word we don't talk about much. A lot bigger word than we admit, I think. We get it mistranslated sometimes. Uh, Paul signed all of his letters, grace and peace. Pretty big topics, if that's what he chose as his signature line. And Gideon finally figures that out. God tells him, peace. And Gideon says, okay, the Lord is peace. I got it. I'll build an altar to him. I'll name it Jehovah Shalom. And I understand that I've got peace. Now, what I wrote down here is peace is not the absence of trouble, but the knowing that things are in order. Okay? Let's think through that. When Gideon said that, when he said, all right, God just said peace, I say Jehovah Shalom, the Lord is peace. Was there now peace in the land? Nope, 135,000 bozos still over the hill ready to attack. Everybody's still hiding in the cave. There was no peace. Same mess we'd been in when we started. So it's not peace in that sense. The Midianites were still coming back. They hadn't been stopped yet. So what's the difference now? What did God tell him? Peace. Don't be afraid. You're not going to die. Gideon knows the end now. He knows who's running things. He doesn't know anything about what's going to happen in the middle. He doesn't know how it's going to work. He doesn't know how he's going to get anybody to fight with him. He doesn't know how they're going to beat 135,000 Midianites. He doesn't know anything except the final answer. God said, I'm with you. We're going to kill all the Midianites, and you're not going to die. That's the promise. That's the end. And at that point, Gideon took this huge step of believing, understanding, having faith that God's in charge. And he says, Jehovah's peace. I'll build an altar to him. He's the God of peace. I know now there's an order to this. He's in charge. I'm not in charge. I don't have the strength. But I don't need to. He said he's going with me. I don't know how we're going to whip him, but he said we're going to whip him. I don't know how I'm going to do it, but he said I'm not going to die. So there is peace. Things are going to be all right. There's, a, there's an order to this thing. Now, bear in mind one thing as we close here. He still hasn't got assignment one. He doesn't know what he's supposed to do yet. 
He's been given no orders. He's just told, you can do it. I'll take care of it. And that's the basics. That's all he needs to start. That's the first step. Who's running things here? Once you make that decision, if you make the right decision, now if you look at circumstances, that truth through circumstances, you'll make the wrong conclusion. All the things we went through here a moment ago. But once you get to that point where you admit, all right, God's in charge and he is God. I'm not. He's running things. He's promised me he'll get me through this. So I've got peace. That's where this little passage that we're going to quit on tonight ends. Jehovah is peace. Don't know how. Don't know the whys. Don't even have the first assignment. And it doesn't mean everything's fixed yet. It just means getting, see, from coward to conqueror, he's still pretty close down here. We had not made a whole lot of progress yet, but we've made enough to admit it's not about me. I understand God's in control. I'm ready to go. Okay. Now God starts giving him assignments next week, and he's not very conquering yet. He still wants signs. He doesn't believe it. He takes faltering steps. He does all sorts of things, but he's ready to take that first step because he knows who's in charge. He knows that God is able. We're going to sing a song. We sang a song about that. He is able. Well, whatever it is, he's able. Gideon got to that point. Jehovah Shalom. Hopefully you are at that point of peace, of understanding who's running things, even though things aren't running very smooth, perhaps. The, you know the end. Uh, if you're not there, if you want to know more about that, or if you're ready to uh, become one of God's people and put your truth Trust in him as one who brings peace to your life. We'd like to help you tonight. If you need anything from this family, let's stand and sing and you come to the front.